this morning, it's, it's actually a great transition because we had the kids choir up here, even the Gaithers uh, dedicating Phoebe. Uh, we're going to talk about generations today, and I'm sort of excited about that. We have five different generations alive right now and five different generations in the church. Um, but I, I want to remind us of the generations. Let me ask you a question. How many people here remember when the remote control came out? How many people remember when, like, how many people here you were the remote control in your house? You remember that, where you had to run and turn on the TV for somebody? Um, How many people remember uh, using a ditto machine or a mimeograph machine? How many people remember that, right? What did you do with a ditto machine? You would what? You'd crank it, right? And then as soon as the paper came out, what would you do? You'd smell it, right? Because it had a specific smell. It was like this weird purple paper that came out. But I know some of the younger people are like, why is he smelling that paper right now? My email doesn't smell. I got you. I got you. Um, So I want to talk about the different generations. So we're going to have a little fun here at the beginning and talk about the generations. Let's start with the boomers. Where are the boomers in the house? Raise your hand if you are a boomer. Look at all the watches. Look at all the watches. On the hands of the boomers. Like, we, you guys still have watches with gears and dials and, and needles and stuff on it. We don't have that anymore. I was wondering who was buying that. Uh, boomers are amazing because they know geography. Boomers can read a map that doesn't talk. Do you know that? You want to have some fun, boomers? Hand a folding map to a millennial. Watch them. They'll... I got no idea. And then they're like, which way? Here, I'll, let's, let's hold a little unscientific thing. Everybody close your eyes. Where you at? Close your eyes. Don't peek. No peeking. Close your eyes. On the count of three, I want you to point to north. One, two, three. Point north. Yeah, there's people all over the place. You have no idea where north is. The millennials and Gen Z are like, what is north? I don't even know what north is. I just go where Siri tells me to go. Right? So boomers know me geography. Um, boomers right now have a pen in hand that they brought from home that they didn't bring here, and they are getting ready to take notes in cursive. And the rest of us will never be able to read. I'm firmly, I believe if there another war broke out, the boomers would win because they could send notes using cursive and nobody would ever be able to decipher it. It's true. Um, and, and one other thing that boomers can do, boomers can do long division. You remember long division? Long division is like magic with a pencil. Nobody else knows how it works. We just open our phone and go to the calculator. Boomers are awesome. I love boomers. Uh, Gen X, where are my people at? I'm a Gen Xer. Gen X, people in the house. Very good. Uh, Gen X, we survived the 80s, right? We created the 80s. Uh, So much of stuff came out of Gen X. Uh, Our music and our movies are still cool after 40 years. Do Do you know what I'm talking about? At least we think they're still cool after 40 years. Um, We had parachute pants. We had big hair, ladies. And we also had neon colors that were everywhere. Um, We lived through the invention of everything. Gen Xers lived through the invention of everything. We started with 8-track tapes. Then it went to vinyl. Then it went to cassette tapes. Then we had CDs. Then we had MP3s. And now we have Spotify. And we have just gone with it all, all along the way, right? We started with PCs that were these big boxes underneath our desk or on our desk. Then we moved to laptops and then we've gone to iPads and and now smartphones. Like we just keep rolling with the technological change. Um, We went from, uh, how many people remember this? We went from wall phones, remember wall phones, to cordless phones. We had the cord with the, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
And then we went to flip phones, right? We had our flip phones, and then we moved on to smartphones. Oh, we had pagers for about a half a minute in there. You remember? Anybody here have a pager? And you'd send little text messages on them? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and now, you know, we've transitioned all the way to FaceTime. We, you know, we, when you take or receive a call, you can literally look at the person that you're talking to on FaceTime. Now, fa- speaking of FaceTime, this is sort of an interesting, weird thing. Gen X, do you remember the cartoon that uh, in the future where they would talk and they would talk via FaceTime? Anybody remember? The Jetsons. The Jetsons, I'm going to give you a weird fact. You want to know something about the Jetsons? Get this, I read this this week. George Jetson was a 40-year-old father in the Jetsons show. The date of that show, the supposed date it was happening, was 2062, which means that George Jetson should be born this year. George Jetson should be born this year. And, and here's the crazy thing, because our kids have grown up with FaceTime. They talk on the phone with FaceTime. My kids get mad if they call me on FaceTime and I answer it on audio. It, you know, they talk like this. Our kids are going to have grown up and think that the Jetsons was about the past. That's what they're going to think. They're going to think that that's the way it was. And, and, uh, and we are a generation, though, that we remember when the internet didn't exist. It didn't exist, people. And there was, you know, younger generation was like, what are you talking about? It didn't exist. We remember, there's a generation now that thinks the internet is slow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? And we grew up in a generation where if you wanted to send a photo, you had to do it through, you know what I'm talking about? And we would watch the pixels come up one at a time, and eventually it would form an image, right? That's what we have lived through as Gen X. So, um, millennials. Where's my millennials? Millennials, yeah, millennials. God bless you. You showed up and on time. I love that about you. You're early and you're at church. You know, nobody thought you would be. You're dressed appropriately. That's great. And nobody gave you a ribbon on the way in. You didn't get anything for that. You just show up. Millennials are now the largest uh, population in the workforce, largest generation in the workforce, which is weird because you're all supposed to be unemployed, but you just keep coming to work and you're doing your thing. Um, and, and that's awesome. Millennials, whenever the millennials call in, they call in to work and they say, uh, hey, I need to take a mental wellness day. And the rest of it, men, men, mental wellness day? What does that mean? Are you, are you sick? And they're like, well, no. I'm, I'm not sick, um, it's just that I can't come into work today because I'm feeling a little sad. What? What? Um, we're all sad here at work. Just come on in, you'll fit right in today. In fact, most of us are sad because we're at work. That's why we're sad. Um, yeah. Gen Z, where's Gen Z? Do I got some Gen Zers floating around? Gen Z, Gen Z, if you're young, you're Gen Z. Come on, throw up that hand right there. Gen Z, I love it. Uh, Gen Z, uh, you're the younglings. Look up from your phones. I'm up here, Gen Z, right here. Good, okay. Um, Gen Z, I, I actually love Gen Z. Gen Z cannot read cursive at all, but they can, however, communicate with a text made of strictly emojis. Do you know this? They just send happy face, crying face, laughing face, high five, 
uh, unicorn. I don't know what it means, but they, but they send it and, and they know what each other are talking about here. Gen Z is a funny generation because if you call, my kids are all Gen Z, if you call them, the phone will ring and ring and ring and ring and ring and they will not pick up. But if you text them, it's like, whoosh, they respond just like that. Like super fast, they respond to a text, but they won't answer. And my kids have never set up their voicemails. Anybody else know a Gen Z like this? Never will they set up a voicemail. I don't think they'll ever do it. Every time I call, it goes to voicemail. They probably have 11 voicemails from me from 19, I don't know, whatever it is. I I try to leave a voicemail for them, and I know Gen Z is like, stop leaving us voicemails, right, Gen Z? Where you at? You're like, stop leaving us voicemail, right? Um, you, you think, grandma, grandma leaves me a five-minute voicemail, and it's like a podcast, <laughs> right? Sweetie, it's grandma. I'm leaving you a verbal text message. They will never hear that voicemail, can I tell you? They just are not wired that way. And the whole time, it's my phone. I'm paying for the phone. Um, so who did I forget? Did I forget anyone? Oh, the greatest generation, the greatest generation. Where do you get off calling yourself the greatest generation? No, I will not make fun of the greatest generation at all. And I'll tell you why. The greatest generation, uh, you can't make fun of them. They are also called the silent generation. And these are the folks that grew up in the wake of the Great Depression They are the folks that kept our country alive. They put their head down and they grinded it out and they found a way back to a better life for all of us as a result of doing that. Um, Give the greatest generation a hand. Honestly, I'm... I'm... Although the greatest generation is genuinely the people who have an old coffee can in the garage of nails that they have hammered into straight and they put them back in there. Every house I buy, I find that coffee can. I don't know what's going on. Um, So every generation, here's the point, every generation is different, every generation is different, but we are one church and every generation has a role to play in God's kingdom. Every generation has a role to play in God's kingdom. If you've got your notes, crank them out. We're going to look at 1 Peter. The underlying premise of 1 Peter that we have been working our way through and we will finish today is a group of believers that were living in a foreign land. They were living in a place that was not their home. They had moved from their home to a new land. Probably multi-generations went together to this new land. And they were living as foreigners and aliens in this new land. They were living as believers in a society that didn't embrace their God, didn't understand their beliefs, and it didn't understand their morals. And they were living in the the margins of this society. Now, more and more, the premise has been, and I've said this a few times, is that America and American Christianity is being pushed to the margins. Our society doesn't believe in the things that biblical Christianity believes more and more. Many people don't even recognize God and they definitely don't recognize the God of the Bible. And they are moving away from biblical values. And America is rapidly becoming a post-Christian country. And as church moves away from the center of society and is relegated to the margins, people, leadership will become vital. The leadership that we have will become vital. We need leaders of every generation, leading in every situation. And so today we're going to look at leadership, and we're going to see that in the text this morning. So here's the first thing we need to understand. If you've got a note, follow along with me. It says, next generation leadership is this. Leaders care for people. Leaders care for people. 
We'll jump into 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read this. I can't preach alone. You've got to follow along and, and work with me. And now, a word for, to you who are what? The elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. And as a fellow, what? Elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Now that term elder is used there, and it's really a simple term. It really refers to those who are senior in age or senior in experience. And in many cases in our world, the people who are leading are those who have experience. Right now, boomers and Gen X are leading many of the organizations around us. But I don't want you to get too caught up in that term elder. We want to recognize the generational thing going on there. But I want you to see the command to these leaders and to all next generation leaders. It's this. Care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Now, I'm sure you've heard it said, it's an old phrase and for good reason, people don't care how much you know until they, what? Know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is so true. It's really true. There are leaders who are in it for themselves. There are leaders who are in it for the position. They're in it for their reputation or for their pride their image, they want to look good. And then there are leaders who lead because they actually care about the people that God has for them, the people around them. The imagery used in this passage, we see the imagery used in this passage, and we see that God uses shepherd leaders. God uses shepherd leaders, which is an interesting image. It's one we see in the Bible a lot, but I, I, you know, sometimes we don't think about it. It's not like they didn't have political leaders back then. They did. It's not like they didn't have military leaders back then. They did. And I'm sure they had business leaders back then. There was probably a chamber, chamber of commerce somewhere. Um, but the imagery used in Scripture is that of shepherds. A lowly shepherd is the best example of how we have to lead? Well, yeah. Leading sheep is not a leadership position that's going to get you noticed. Leading sheep is, there's not much of a corporate ladder for shepherds, if you know what I mean. Leading sheep is about one thing and one thing only. It's about the sheep. It's about protecting the sheep. It's about caring for the sheep. It's about making sure the sheep are well-fed and healthy and safe. And the leaders of sheep have to be focused on the sheep. Listen to Jesus himself as he talks to Peter near the end of his ministry here on earth. In the book of John, in John 21, it says this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. What does Jesus say? Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. What does he say? Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I love this part. Peter was hurt. You can imagine that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, what? Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. That's it. Only thing I got for you, leadership-wise. Here you go. I'm about to ascend to heaven. Go feed the sheep. Take care of the sheep. Be there for the sheep. Leadership is about caring for others, period. It's about caring for the sheep. That's all. 
You don't have to be an administrative genius. You don't have to be a great public speaker. You don't have to be a great motivator to be a leader. You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. And great leaders care the most. But caring isn't enough. That's got to translate into some action. You've got to do something with that. And when you really care, you will actually do something. So next generation leaders lead. You have to lead. You have to get out there. Get out in front. 1 Peter 5, 3-4 says, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but what? Lead them by your own what? Good example. And then the great shepherd appears and you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. There's an old saying about leadership that says this. If you're leading and no one's following, you might just be out for a walk. If you think you're leading and nobody's following behind you, you might just be out for a walk and not know it. You're not doing much leading at that point. But leaders lead from the front is the point that I'm making here. There's two ways to lead. You can lead by example from the front or you can lead from the rear. From the rear, you need a whip, you need a stick, and you need intimidations. Both can make a flock move, but we see here in Scripture that God wants us to lead by example from the front. We don't lord it over the sheep. We lead them from the front. Uh, If you let the sheep get out in front, sometimes they can get in trouble. I think you'll see what I mean here. This is a sheep caught in a trench. And uh, these young kids are rescuing the sheep. And they get them out of the trench. And the sheep's like, yippee! (laughs) That's too bad. And the good shepherd just walks up and gets the sheep out here in slow motion. Oh, nuts. Sheep are not that bright. If you don't know anything about sheep, they are not that smart. Uh, but, but, it's, but it's true. They need to be led from the front. And the best way to describe this is this. God uses servant leaders. God uses servant leaders. Anybody can be a leader by intimidation, by lording it over those that you lead. But listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. It says this. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world do what? They lord it over their people. And officials what? Flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. We operate differently. Whoever wants, you to, wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your what? slave for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many see we lead by serving others people can follow out of fear or they can follow out of loyalty um people people are loyal when they know you have their back people are loyal when they know you have their back when when they remember the times that you've served them when they remember the times that you protected them when they remember the times that you were there for them, especially when no one else was and you, when they needed it the most, you showed up for them. When you made the effort and no one else did, those people will follow you anywhere. They'll follow you anywhere. You know, it's interesting to me because in the church world, I, I read about leadership a lot. I, I 
just read about it. If you're in the business world, you probably have to read about leadership a lot. Um, there's all these terms, high capacity leaders, and there's leadership principles. There's the five qualities of leaders. There's the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. But very few people talk a lot about this servant leader piece. And, and Jesus seemed to emphasize servant leader more and more. There's a quote from John Maxwell in the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. He says this, Many people view leadership the same way they view success, hoping to go as far as they can, to climb the ladder, to achieve the highest position possible for their talent. But contrary to conventional thinking, I believe the bottom line in leadership isn't how far we advance ourselves, but how far we advance others. That is achieved by serving others and adding value to their lives. We lead by serving others. You could try it the other way, through fear and intimidation, but get this, the moment they don't fear you anymore, they won't follow you anymore. And so we lead a different way. We lead through serving others and servant leadership. All right, we also see that the next generation leaders learn from leaders. Leaders learn from leaders. Verse 5 says, in the same way, you who are what? Younger must accept the authority of the elders. And this is important, who? All of you dress yourselves in what? Humility. As you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Leaders require followers, and the followers of today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Uh, I read a story about a a father who was filling out a college application for his daughter, and she was seeking admission to a pretty prestigious college, exclusive college, and there was a question on the form which asked whether the applicant was a leader. And in a moment in clarity, this father wrote honestly, no, but she's a good follower. The application was sent in, and of course they waited, and a couple of months later, uh, a letter arrived from from the school, and it was a letter of acceptance. She had been accepted. And at the bottom of this letter of acceptance was a note from the dean. It was handwritten on there, and it said this, Since the entering class of 500 has 499 leaders, we thought there ought to be room for one follower. (laughs) This verse says all of you. It says both the elders and the youngsters, boomers, millennial, Gen X, Gen Z, all of you, be humble. Let me give you something here. Older folks um, who have more experience... You have got to be humble. Because I'll tell you what, these young kids, they are smart. And they are creative. And they have some stuff to offer that we would be wise to listen to them and implement as we take on the leadership roles in our world. Younger people, let me tell you something. These older folks that are leading the organizations, these older folks that are leading in the church, when you look at them, you have no idea what they have done and sacrificed to lead the organizations that they lead. And can I tell you something? They are wise because they have led through hard times and good times and seen everything. And you would do well to gain some wisdom from them. Both sides have to be humble. 
for that to work. It's the only way it will work. Um, humility is understanding that you don't know it all. Everyone you meet, everyone you meet everywhere has something they can teach you if you'll be open to learning it. When you approach other people with that attitude, you're open to growth. And get this, God uses teachable leaders. God uses teachable leaders. I gotta be honest with you. This is the single most important thing to me in a leader is this quality. Someone who is willing to say, I don't know it all. I got an idea, but my way might not be the best way. Um, I, have something, I have lots to learn. I have something to learn. I have something to offer, but I also have lots and lots to learn. Um, I definitely have so much to learn. Can I tell you something? When I'm talking to that person, for me, it's boom, you're hired. Because that kind of humility, that kind of teachableness, you cannot, it's hard to find. And when you find it, I can really work with that person and move them forward. The tendency of young people, God bless you, I love you, we were all young once. But the tendency of young people is this, is to come across as if they know everything. And the reason why you do that, and I understand it, is because you're trying to gain respect. You're trying to prove that you're independent. You're trying to prove that you're competent. And But get this, with a little time and with a little age, most of us will tell you, old people, tell me if I'm right or not. We didn't know what we didn't know. Like, we just didn't know what we didn't know. There's so much that the older I get, the more I think, oh man, I don't know anything about this. And I think, and I've been doing it for 20 years or, or whatever. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that you have got to realize that you don't know everything and that you, how badly we need other people to instruct us and to give us wisdom. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote this quote, which I love. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not at all. It is thinking of yourself less. That's what it means to be truly uh, humble. So, let's turn the corner because all leaders have to push through something. They have to fight through something. And all leaders will face resistance. In every generation, leaders who are leading for Jesus Christ will face the resistance of our culture. And so I want you to get this. Leaders lead against the enemy. We have an enemy. Leaders lead against the enemy. Verse 8. Stay alert. And watch out for your what? Great enemy. What's his name? The devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of who? Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will what? Restore. What else? And what else? And strengthen you. And he will place you on a what? Firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. We have a very, all leadership is leading through problems. When there's no more problems, you're not leading anymore. That's what leadership is. And, and we have a spiritual enemy who wants to defeat us and destroy us. He wants to come like a lion and, and devour the sheep that God has in our care. And when, when the attack comes, we have to stand firm and face the enemy, whatever that enemy looks like. You see, God uses courageous leaders. And I think about this, I've, I'm a Gen X, and our generation has really never faced war. 
Does that make sense? We've never, Vietnam was wrapping up as we were being born. We haven't had any real major conflicts since then. We had the Gulf War where everybody went over and then they surrendered and went, thank you. Uh, but but it, wasn't, it wasn't a real war in, in the way that other wars were. And I've always sort of wondered what it would be like to be in war. Like we watch these movies where the guy gets in front and hops on his steed and grabs his sword and leads the entire battle behind him. Right? You know what that's like? I, I wonder what that's like. It reminds me of a story I read about a, a brave sailing captain named Captain Bravo. Now, Captain Bravo was a man's man. He was a manly man. He was very masculine. And he, uh, he was out sailing one day with his, with his fleet, and, and uh, he showed no fear whenever he faced any enemies at all. He just never showed any fear. And one day while they were sailing, he looked out, and the, the lookout spotted a pirate ship on the horizon. And the crew became frantic, and Captain Bravo bellowed to his first mate, Bring me my red shirt! First mate brought him his red shirt. He put on his red shirt, and the pirates came, and they came aboard, and they swashbuckled, and they fought, and, and, and they defeated the pirates, and, and, and it was unbelievable. They defeated all the pirates. And that evening, as the men sat around on the deck of the ship, they said, uh, That is so crazy, Captain Bravo, but I don't understand. Why did you ask for your red shirt before the battle. And Captain Bravo said, well, because if I'm injured in the middle of battle, then my red shirt will hide my blood and you men will continue to fight valiantly against the enemy. And they all went, wow, that's incredible. So they all went to bed that night and on the next morning, they all woke up and as they're looking off the bow of the ship there they saw off in the horizon not one pirate ship not two but ten pirate ships sailing straight at them and a hush fell over the boat and they all looked at Captain Bravo and Captain Bravo with a steely gaze on the horizon looked to his men and to his first mate and said bring me my brown pants That's not the way that happened, no. (laughs) Hey, let's look in the Bible. I want to show you in the Old Testament a place where Moses was handing off leadership and that kind of courageous leadership was needed. He was handing it off to the next generation, to Joshua, and he was to lead God's people into the promised land. Listen to what it said. Good verse this morning, by the way. Uh, it's, It's here in the sermon. So be strong and what? For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and what? Very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. What are we supposed to do? Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be what? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have a very real spiritual enemy who will oppose us as we serve God. We have a culture that more and more will oppose us as we stand up for God. The question is, is in those moments, will we be strong and courageous? Will we stand up? And choose to live right? Will we stand up and claim biblical truth? Will we not back down and not give up in the face of that? Because there's a promise in 1 Peter there. It says this. He will restore. He will support and strengthen you. 
and he will place you on a firm foundation. All of that leads me to... So what, Steve? What do I do with this? I want to read the closing remarks of this letter. It always reminds me that these are real people. Peter's a real person, and, and he's writing it to real people who are really living this out. And so this is just the last few verses here. Sometimes people skip over this. I don't want to. Verse 12, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of who? Silas, who I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you That what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon, by the way, most scholars think that that Babylon he was referring to was Rome. He was saying, you're living in Babylon. The Israelites were sent to Babylon. I'm in Babylon. We're all living in these places where we're foreigners and aliens. Sends you greetings. And so does my son who? You hear the generations? You got Peter, you got, you, and you got Mark. And greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. So what is this last chapter of 1 Peter about? It's really about leadership. It's all about leadership. And how do we see leadership in light of this post-Christian world? How will the kingdom of God advance? How can our church be a church that makes a difference in this post-Christian Babylon world of America and in everyday lives? Because we all have to be leaders. Every generation leading together, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, every generation leading together. I want to take just a second and talk to the elders and the youngers. The elders, boomers, Gen X, can I tell you something? We are headed for what I think is the most significant moment of our lives. And it is handing off leadership to the next generation. Some of you have already been doing it. It is so important that we hand off this leadership well to the next generation, that we embrace them and that we train them and that we hand them responsibility in a way that forges forward, not just the church, but God's kingdom in all places, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. Gen X, excuse me, Gen Z and millennials, can I just tell you something? I have so much hope for the future because of you. I see so many great things in you. Can I tell you, it is uh, cheap and cliche to blame the way that our world is going on a generation just because they're younger. Because there are some incredibly gifted, good people that are living in the millennial and the Gen Z generation. And I'm so excited to see what you will do with God's kingdom and with the church and with your workplaces. God is going to work through you. You have to step into that leadership. And we have to lead together and surrender leadership if you're the older generation. And I'm seeing this more and more. Next generation leaders that are leading in their school through a Christian club or they're starting a mission trip in, as young adults or they're, they're taking on and creating a community group or, or whatever they're doing. God is using you if you will step into that leadership. The point I have for you today is just this. It goes like this. God uses leaders from every generation and in every situation. God uses leaders from every generation and in every situation. Every generation brings something to the table and something important. And every generation can lead in God's kingdom. And one of the greatest leaders that we ever saw in this history of God movement was a little shepherd boy named David. And we see in Psalm 78 this passage here that talks about him. He chose his servant David, calling him from the where? He was working in the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of who? Jacob's descendants. God's own people. Who? Israel. He cared for them with a? 
with a true heart. And he led them with what? Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, this is all fine and good, Steve, but I'm not a leader. Guess what? You're not a leader yet. When David was sitting in that sheep's pen, he didn't think he'd be the leader of the nation. But God brought him up out of there and used him. First he was leading sheep, and then he was, he was leading people. He was sleeping in the fields, and then he was sleeping in the palace. He was leading in battle, and then leading an entire nation. I wonder who here today God is going to call to lead in some new way. Who will God raise up? Who will answer the call that God has for you? Who will be a humble leader, a teachable leader, a servant leader? Who will be strong and courageous in the face of opposition? And who will lead people to find Jesus? Would you just bow your heads with me? I want to pray a blessing over you as you consider that question. God, today I, I know I'm sitting in a, in a room filled with every generation. God, and, and we want to honor you as one church with so many generations. And God, we love each of these generations because when we look at the younger generation, we see our kids and our grandkids. And God, when we look at the older generation, we see aunts and uncles and and parents and grandparents, God. I pray, Father, that as, as a group of believers that we would embrace every generation, that we would bring them into leadership and they would lead well the way that you taught us to lead in your word, God. May we not surrender this moment, but may we with courage, take up the battle that is in front of us and that we may honor you and make you known even in a culture that is moving far away from you. God, raise up the leaders we need right here. May we be the leaders to those in our lives that you have given us that role. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.